Would you follow after me and then we'll join together. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You may be seated. Our pastor of our north campus, Riverside, had the opportunity to spend the summer of 2012 in Jerusalem. So we've been asking him questions about Jerusalem and about the temple and, and uh, on the video, and he gives some responses. Now, as you watch the response this morning, uh, you might listen for two things. The first thing is he will use an interesting phrase called Tishbaav. What that is, that's like a date. And uh, the date is that, uh, or the coincidence is that the first temple built by Solomon fell to the Babylonians on the day Tishbaav, And uh, several hundred years later, the temple that had been rebuilt and Herod expanded, the temple of Jesus' day and Paul's day, fell to the Romans on Tishbaav. And so it's a day when they remember that. Also, uh, pay attention to uh, what Scott says uh, happened. Even though they lost the temple, what were they able to hold on to? So what is the importance of the temple in ancient times, in biblical times? And again, um, it's the center of everything and the place where every agreement about identity and unity of people and what God has said to us and the story that has brought us forward and the things that we struggle with, it is the physical representation of all of that and Paradoxically, it is the representation of everything we argue about, disagree with, completely counter each other. Uh, It is one of the greatest and most frustrating places in the entire world. You can be elated and deflated in literally 10 seconds uh, from something that somebody does and then somebody responds to it. There's more hand-waving and more praying, there's more singing, and there's more yelling. And I think that in those ancient times, having a voice and being heard was crucial. The ritual of process, the, the sort of the love language of God, of being obedient, this was the place where that all rolled out and, and made meaning. And it still remains that way. But in that ancient place... This was the physical place where you said for sure things like, I believe in you, I agree with you, I come into compassion with you. It it meant I I make sacrifice so that I can be forgiven and learn how to forgive others. Um, It was the center of the story. It held everything together. Um, And so that's why it was so interesting when the temple fell each time. What did they have to hold on to in order to be the people God called them to be. Because maybe not so surprisingly, but quite beautifully, even when the temples fell, uh, fascinatingly recorded on the same day, Tishbav, different times, uh, somehow their unity actually is strengthened in the face of a falling temple that made so much sense as the center of their lives. I think three times a year they all came, all of them, they could. And yet when it fell... Their identity is maintained. Uh, so I suppose 
again, the temple is this wonderful ancient place of the center of their faith. Uh, and yet it's a place for them to realize there's something more important about their faith, something more central. And of course, that's God. Sat down in grief and wept, hung our hearts upon the willow, mournful Zion when we slept. There are captors in derision did require of us a song. So we sat with staring vision, and the days were hard and long. How shall we sing? The scripture I want us to think about this morning is Psalm 137. The setting is this, the Jerusalem temple, uh, threatened by the Assyrians a hundred years earlier, but miraculously protected, has now fallen to the Babylonians, just as Jeremiah said that it would. And a number of the uh, healthy and capable people uh, were uh, removed from Jerusalem and carted off into slavery into Babylon, where they wrote this psalm, or they, we might say, sang this song. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat there and wept as we remembered uh, Zion. Our, tor- our captors asked of us songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand lose its skill. May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider you, Jerusalem, above my highest joy. Remember what the Edomites did, Lord. On the day that Jerusalem fell, tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundation. And you, O oh daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who does to you according to what you have done to us. 
Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In most churches, most all the time, you will not hear the entire version of Psalm 137. And in fact, in the three-year cycle of readings for Christian churches, which many churches across the world use and have been using for centuries, you will not find the end of Psalm 137. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. In songs about Psalm 137, like we just heard, by the rivers are the waters of Babylon, you won't hear that verse included. And if you were here before the announcements, you may have seen the video overview of, Jer- of Jerusalem with a song uh, written and sung by Modest Yahoo. And uh, it's based on Psalm 137, and you won't hear anything about the babies and the rocks. I believe that commentator Eugene Peterson is essentially correct when he says, when it comes to Psalm 137, what the church has performed effectively is what he calls a psalmectomy. We've just kind of taken this part of the psalm and excised it out. And I understand that. But I also think about what another scholar, Ellen Davis, uh, said. She said, when we put our hand over the mouth of the psalmist, when we put our hand over the mouth of the psalmist, we lose something valuable. So this morning, I want to take our hand off the mouth of the psalmist and and look for a moment at these very hard verses. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now, as we go in and look at this together, I think there's a few things that we need to say in passing. They might help you feel better. They might not. First one is this, is always remember, because a verse is in the Bible, that does not mean it is an example for you to follow. There are people in the Bible who say things and do things that are quite inappropriate. And there are even people who write psalms and sing songs to God who sing things that we would not sing in our better, our best moments. So the first thing is, this is not necessarily put out in front of you by God as an example of what to say are an example to follow. The second thing is interesting is this song is sung and written in captivity. The Babylonians rule. The, the people of Jerusalem who are carted off into slavery are in fact slaves. They have no weapons. They have no power to organize. They have nothing they can do against the Babylonians. In other words, they are praying, but they have no way to be an answer to their own prayer. They are leaving it quite intentionally in the hands of God. And so let me ask you this, with what you know of God through the entire course of the Bible, if you place it in God's hand, the request to take somebody else's babies and smash them against the wall, is that something God's likely to do? As they say, what are the odds? They're not good. They're asking God for something. They're expressing their anger and knowing good and well that that's not the thing God is going to do. Another thing that's interesting is when you think about phrases about war that involve children, you should know that that is a common way to talk about total destruction. As it goes all the way down, even to the kids, you'll find examples in Nahum chapter 3, Hosea chapter 10, and in 2 Kings chapter 8, they'll talk about children being involved as a way of saying the war, the destruction is total. So taking all those sort of disclaimers and things to think about, 
what might we learn if we take our hand off the psalmist's mouth? I have a few suggestions. First thing we might learn is just that anger is appropriately better expressed toward God than acted on toward other people. We have a difficulty understanding that difference in our country. The things we feel as deeply devout or religious people we express to God, but we also feel like we need to go and then execute them on others. But they are offering their anger about the situation to God, not at their captors in Babylon. We're learning that it is appropriate, as was said on the Stephen Ministry video, it's, it's okay to take your anger to God. God can hear and receive that. Second thing I think we might learn is just how painful and, uh, and how deep and terrible the loss of the temple was to the people of Jerusalem. Uh, it was, in fact, unimaginable. Jeremiah had been prophesying it for years. You're going to fall. The Babylonians are coming in. The temple's going to be wiped out. But they just couldn't hear it. Surely not. How painful was it to them? They lost their national identity and their religious identity in one fell swoop. Did it hurt? Much? Well, yeah. So much so that they called on God to execute revenge from them. So if nothing else, this psalm reminds us that oftentimes even the people of God will, uh, will experience bitter and deep hurt. And disappointment and loss that, that's almost too deep to even express in any sort of rational or systematic matter. Sometimes the hurt is so deep, all you can do is just scream. And that's okay. But I also think that there's something else. Uh, when we think about the depth of their hurt, we realize that their hurt is so deep that the, their response is, Remember. Remember. Saying remember to the Jews is a little bit like saying remember the Alamo to the Texian soldiers. It's not about just calling something to mind, but it's about doing something about it. Uh, think of it this way. If, 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 I, uh, if I tell myself I need to remember my wife's birthday, that's not me saying, oh yeah, it's on this, this such and such a day. It means I better do something in response to that. When I tell myself that tomorrow morning I've got to get up early so I need to remember to set the alarm, it's not something just to plant in my head, oh yeah, it's something to actually do something about. And so when they think about their hurt and pain, they determine they're going to do something about it. And that's included in remember. And, and in some ways we can't blame them. I was reading a book um, about the history of Psalm 137 in literature and music, and, and the author's point is about how it's left out of you know, most any self-respecting church or synagogue service. It's not going to be in there. And he said to try to understand what it must have been like when the Babylonians crushed the temple, uh, he talked about something that happened in Poland in early um, 1941, when under the Nazis' permission and guidance, People in a town in Poland gathered up the 1,600 Jews that were in that town and they started taunting them and they started beating and blooding them and then they weren't through. They herded them into a barn. They locked the barn from the outside and set it on fire. Now, how do you respond to that? How would it make you feel? This is, this is an intense thing. And their response is, by God, we're going to remember and by remembers, we're going to do something about it. And they have two things they want to do that I think is interesting. One, they're going to curse themselves. 
You know, you know, but let this happen to my hand. Let this happen to my uh, my tongue. If, if I don't if I don't just keep carrying this axe, if I don't keep grinding it, let those terrible things happen to me. In fact, it still goes on to uh, this day. Have you ever been to a Jewish wedding where they take the glass at the end, at the end of the wedding? What do they do? Stomp on it. Well, why do they do that? Well, I don't know until like two weeks ago. I found out that what they do is because that reminds them and reenacts for them the falling of the temples. They smash it. Even at your moment of highest joy and celebration, you remember the pain. We're not going to let ourselves forget the pain. That's how they remember. Is that good? Is that ultimately helpful? Is that an example for us to follow? Now, there are other reasons to step on the glass, so I won't go there, but let me go to what one scholar said this week. He said, it's possible that when you look at Psalm 137, you have an example not just of remembering, but over-remembering. Over-remembering was a basically a form of nostalgia. They, they said that only the temple is where God could be, and now the temple is gone, God is no longer here. They, they overemphasized one particular place and time and would not let themselves get past that time. And then there was not only nostalgia, but there was blame. And not only are they remembering how wonderful it was and how everything was perfect back when, then they say, and it's the fault of the Edomites because they sat there and cheered when our temple got torn down. And it's interesting when you think about the metaphor of the rocks. I don't, know, um, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when they're looking for the Holy Grail. You remember where they find it in that temple in the rocks? That's a place called Petra. It's in Jordan, a.k.a. in biblical times, Edom. It's famous for its rocks. And so what this is in this poetry and their anger, they're saying, take the Babylonian babies because we hate them and it's their fault and take them over to the Edomites rocks because we hate them. It's their fault and bash them. It's an amazing combination of nostalgia and blame. That's really interesting that it's the Babylonians and Edomites fault because according to Jeremiah, it was the Jerusalemites fault. They took their children and sacrificed them to false gods in a, in a um, pagan temple below God's temple. They oppressed the foreigner. They didn't take care of the fatherless. They didn't take care of the widow. They worshipped other gods. And Jeremiah said, keep doing this. It's not going to go well for you. But they blamed it on somebody else. Over-remembering, it seems to me, is when we overemphasize our anger because we're too tied to the past and we won't accept responsibility for our situation in the present. Now, how do I know so much about this? Because I do it. On a regular basis, I'll over-remember. I'll over-remember how it was in the church 10 years ago. Well, I remember when we had more money than we really could give away. I remember when we had more people in a pew. I remember, and I over-remember and think about, well, God was there back then. And then I'll go to blaming. Well, it's the culture. We don't have blue laws anymore. It's the culture. People are workaholics. Sunday's their only day. They get away. Or it's to other people. They're just not faithful. 
or it's my fault. There's things I should have and could have done other or better. That's to over-remember. And I think the psalm is here to teach us this morning that it's okay to remember, but not to over-remember, because over-remembering sticks you in the past and you can't get through the present. Let's look at what it might look like in our world. Let's think about the, the recent hurricanes. Now, here's, the, here's what I need to say. I know I'm speaking from dry land. I know I'm speaking from a backyard that only had two inches of rain. I get that. But part of what I saw in the hurricane, and didn't you see it, was an over-remembering of people's place. An unwillingness, even when in some towns, some in Texas, many in Florida, they were asked to leave, but they couldn't. They just couldn't bear parting with what they had. They couldn't envision or remember I think of a future apart from where they were. And I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just saying that's what it was. Some of them, and I get this one, didn't want to leave their pets. But there was a nostalgia that crept in. I've got to hold on to this. And then there was, in the days afterward, sometimes in Texas, sometimes in Florida, there was a blame that started to come. Well, the mayor should have done this. If we hadn't affected the climate, if the first responders, if the 911 lines hadn't been jammed, if they were better prepared with gas, so on, so forth. We over-remember. But while we're doing that, I I think you probably noticed there were some people in Houston and some people in Florida that, like, were in boats rescuing people. They didn't have time or energy to blame. They didn't have time or energy to over-remember what had been washed away. They only had time to respond in the present in a faithful way that would help create the new future. I think this happens in life. We get stuck when we over-remember. And that's why I'm, I'm so pleased that it's Stephen Ministry Sunday because bad things will happen to us. Things that are inexpressible, things we can't even articulate. All we can do is, is, is rant or scream. And those things are going to come. But what do we do? Do we over-romanticize what was lost? Or try to figure out whose fault it was that it was lost? Or can we move in this present toward the future? And I think Stephen Ministry can help. If you feel like you're stuck in some situation, I think, I think you can find someone who will walk through, um, walk through with you in a dark present so that you can begin to move toward a light future. Just two thoughts as we close. I think if I learn anything from putting the, the prophet Jeremiah together, who warned about this would happen, uh, with it actually happening in Psalm, and then looking again at the prophet Jeremiah, I would make two suggestions. When something devastates your life, the first thing I think, it, 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 for you to move forward, to get out of neutral, you're going to have to accept that what has happened has happened. At some point, you have to move to acceptance. This really did occur. This really is the life that I have right now. So you're not living in some previous day you recognize today. And then the second thing, I think the only constructive thing we can do about the past and live faithfully in the future is through forgiveness. To forgive others who may have let us down. To forgive perhaps God who didn't intervene in a way that we expected or prayed to hope that God would. 
to forgive ourselves for what we failed to do or what we did that now looking back we wished we hadn't done. To accept and to forgive is to move forward. And why is it so important to move forward? Because typically in the Bible, where you're going to find God is not where God was, but where God is. And God is always moving past the place where you last met and experienced God. Uh, The great analyst of another century, uh, Carl Jung, put it this way. He said, when they looked for Jesus, where did they go to look for him when he died? They looked for him in the tomb. Was he there? No. He's not in the things that have died. He has risen. He moves on. I'm going before you, he said, into Galilee. If we're going to find and experience God in our life, it's not going to be in some wonderful past that now we've lost, but it's going to be in the moment where we are now, walking with us and pointing us to a better and newer moment that is still ahead.